This podcast is proudly sponsored by Simmental Australia. The versatility and strength in both maternal and terminal trays should make Simmental's your first choice crossbreeding partner. So isn't it time you took your Simmental advantage? Welcome back to the Australian Simmental podcast. And my next guest, if you tuned in last week, is someone who we struggled at times we wrestled the microphone off him. But all jokes aside, our next guest probably needs no introduction. But Bill Cornell is an absolute masterful storyteller. His experiences are so incredible. Uh, His love of beef cattle has started from a young age. Where Bill would get his freezing cow toys and he'd paint them black. I know we're not here to talk about Angus, but a lot of Bill's influence in life has been shaped through various breeds and it has landed with where he is today involved in the Simi breed. Bill's experience, knowledge and passion for genetics has shaped much of his life. In our chat today, Bill shares his story, what's shaped him and his passions, the influence that faith has in what he does and the why behind it. Bill has been involved in in quite a few different breeds and it's his passion about supporting the next generation that has really been a hallmark of his career and life and, and I think a legacy that Bill will leave. He's recently been inducted and given a lifetime award for Angus Youth for his services to the youth of the industry. But I know today we're here to talk about Simmental. With all the choices, with everything he's seen over his career, I wanted to understand why Bill's gone for his own Simi herd himself. What does he see as the opportunities and why is he really excited to see the next cohort of youth coming through the Next Gen program? Bill Cornell, it's great to see you at the Sydney Royal. Thanks, Holly. First time I met you, and it's been lovely to meet you so far. Well, each time that we could have met, I think Beef Australia, you've been other places, maybe. Yeah, that's probably right. Probably in hospital, or fighting, finally trying to find my way past COVID or doing something like that. God, well, we're finally caught up, which is great. And how's how's the Sydney Royal treating you? It's certainly a hive of activity. It is, it is. And it's just, um, I suppose when we first came in, you know, and I don't, we don't want to talk about COVID too much, but you're just so many people and they're sitting in the stands side by side and stuff, but we just don't get used to it. So, um, but it's just great to see some normality come and seeing the cattle here and the, and the Simmental features just been enormously fantastic to watch and be part of. I was chatting to... Um well, a few days ago, the Simmental youth had a session out here, and I tell you, I reckon it's probably one of those things that people will remember forever because it was a deluge of rain. Um, whatever happened on the day, they'll remember it because of the weather. Oh, I think so. I think so. And then the the wonderful thing too was that the taken on the spirit of things like that. Um, Annie Pumper, one of our offsiders, won the won the championship, and then she immediately turned around and gave all the money back to the youth program to get it started. So that was a wonderful gesture. So. Did she? She's yeah. a superstar. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I hear her boss has um, yeah, been into her about that. So <laughs> <laughs> Now, um, Bill, I want to start off because, as you said, this is the first time we've met, but I want to understand a little bit more about Bill and, and what were Bill's interests. How, how did you come into agriculture? Yeah, it was a really funny story and, you know, I know we haven't got a few days to talk about it, but I was a city boy born in Adelaide. Um, my parents took a holiday down to Kangaroo Island down onto Dr Smith's place just north of Pandana and we loved the country so much and and I was really hooked. I would have been 10 at the time 
Uh, mum and dad both had agriculture in their backgrounds. Dad had been a dairy farmer and mum always used to talk about going down to her family's place on the Malang banks and riding ponies and that sort of stuff. And, and, and so we bought the farm alongside and uh, 1,100 acres at Kangaroo Island and, and I really got uh, into it. And um, dad had a couple of Angus bulls and he sold them and I was devastated. They were going to Hereford Shorty Cows. And to appease my brother and myself about butch bull going to the going going out and two Hereford bulls coming in, would you believe called Billy and Andy, after my brother and myself, <laughs> Dad told us that we could have a, a heifer each. So I went out and I picked out a really big short horn, um, the Hereford Cross heifer, and she had uh, three white feet and, and one brown one. And Dad said, well, did you pick her? And I said, Dad, she's the biggest one, so she's going to have a calf sooner than any of the other ones, and then I'll be starting to breed cattle. So... And that's where it started. And Dad said to us, um, 20 bucks for every calf you sell. Well, Christine had Britannia and Victoria, and they did that. And before Dad knew it, I had 10 cows or 10 heifer calves and um, not a steer yet, and it was costing a fortune. <laughs> and, and, and we just built that up. And then I got passionate about um, Angus, and my brother did too. I, first animal I had was a stud Hereford, and then a couple of years later we had some stud Angus, and that was... Hadn't even left school yet, and then I just loved showing and uh, came through the youth program. And um, I, when I was twenty, I was the uh, inaugural um, chairman of the South Australian Youth Program, and uh, it just really bowled away from there. And uh, and uh, yeah, been been hooked ever since. And uh, and and I haven't drawn breath yet. But my just a complete little story is if you spoke to my wife that I dearly love and she supports me. Um, and tends to stay away from shows because she knows that if um, she comes, I start to feel responsible to watch over her, and uh, so she is easy just to stay away. But she keeps on telling everybody that uh, um, when I pass, I'll be, be being buried with a cow. So. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, what from being a young fella to now, what is it about the shows that make them so special? Oh, shows! I I really feel for shows because. They were the things that really got me into agriculture. When I was a little kid, um, you know, 10, 11 years of age, we used to go to the RSPCA and all I wanted to do there was buy the plastic farm animals and I really wanted to be involved in agriculture and the Adelaide show just meant everything to me to me to go to have a look at the, to the animals. But not only that was to see the people that were there and to sort of get round and talk to people and, and get the buzz and, you know, pick up turds off the ground. And it, it was like a pathway into agriculture. And what's happened is with performance breeding and some of the breed societies have become totally dysfunctional in the fact that they've, that they've almost like dehumanising things a bit. People are reading everything on the computer, uh, just going for the figures and so forth, but they forget, they forget that... The power of agriculture is really people and uh, exchange of ideas and meeting face to face. I mean, if ever, the more than now, the fact that we can actually see people face to face rather than through a computer screen, um, you know, it's a bit more like we've got to humanise what's going on. But uh, there's so many people have come through in our industry, came through youth programs. I mean, just Jason Strong, MLA Managing Director... He started off out of an Angus youth program. Did he? Yeah. There you go. And Greg Chapel, MSA, led that for a long time. 
he got his start in a Angus judging youth program. So, you know, and I could go on and name a whole list of people and I apologise to those that I've left out, but there are people out there, and I'm sure in other breeds, that have, you know, really come through into agriculture through um, youth shows. So it's it's important. Yeah, I'm oh, sorry. As you see, I don't draw breath. When when my when my father was involved in the Suzuki Angus Beef Classic and sponsoring that in 1977, which was the launch of really getting Angus national, it wasn't about a bull sale. It was to create an event that was of international flavour and to get international people to recognise Australia. And it was a gathering and a friendship and stewardship of fellow breeders on an annual basis. That's what it was all about first. Second was about showing cattle, displaying it, the discussion, and then selling them on a national basis. But the first thing was it was to be an event of international standing and, and the people that were involved. And, and he got out there and just to make a go, I remember he got Sir Zilman Cowan, who was the Governor General of the time, to come and open it and got Neville Rand. Nifty Devil from New South Wales to come and open up the event in Victoria, you know, and all yeah. of that sort of thing, and just getting personalities and and everything involved. So, so humans, human personalities, and that's that's what shows offer. And um, and if we lose that, we just lose so much. Yeah, I think you you see the generations coming through here, and and I think what is so interesting is you've got particularly Sydney Show or, or Melbourne Royal, any of these ones that are in the major capital cities. You see the little kids leading these huge animals, and it's that's what these city people are seeing every single day as they come out here, and it's it's eye-opening. Like they, these kids, not only are they passionate about it, but God, there's some talent in there. Oh, ab- absolutely, absolutely, and and uh, it, it's just it's just great, and it just brings families together and ties things together, and and lifelong friendships are, are formed. I mean, look, I John Sunderman from Panora. And I don't see each other very often, but we sort of, um, 1980 was when we first met in Angus and it was in a youth event. And, um, you know, we pick up the phone even now to have a chin wag, you know, let's say once a year, but it's like we never, never lost that bond. And, and, just, and that was through the youth program. How, how do you, what do you see ways to improve, increase youth involvement? How, with these youth programs, how do you accelerate the uptake? Oh, exactly. Like when I joined the Simmental Federal Board the other day, or well, May last year, I said to them, have you got a youth program going now federally? And they said, oh, it's still gone into laps. So I said, well, maybe we should reactivate it. And then they made me chairman. And then the first thing we did was um, we just said, right, we've got to get on and, and get youth involved. So we decided at this event to have a, a – and thank you to the RAS for letting us do it, have that uh, youth show, youth paraders competition, just a simple thing, put it out there. And we were worried around and, you know, get 20 or 30 kids. But we ended up with like 76 or 78 kids coming out. It was just just amazing, uh, you know, amazing event. But leading on from that is about forming uh, youth groups with uh, kids that are, uh, you know, have got a really a passion for it. And, and want to be involved, they've got some drive, and uh, the the network that can be involved in this, I mean, from the Simmental personal point of view, is, is overseas scholarships that we'll be looking to do, trips to New Zealand, uh, um, and, uh, you know, I've been talking to 
the American Association about um, assisting us with a with a trip there. So there's those sort of life-changing experiences that can be evolved um, from there. But then it becomes the simple things, um, well, a little bit more simple about having fun days, you know, just getting kids in an area to come and, and, and meet and have a barbie and, you know, run around and have a look at some cows. How embarrassing is that? Oh, can't take them anywhere. <laughs> God, you'd forgot to tell me to switch it off. No, that's all right. We like to keep them... Organic. Luckily, I'm really good at editing. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that's good. But um, yeah, there's just so many opportunities for for kids to get involved, and it can be simplistic things. I mean, for a start, another thing we've got is a bursary um, for a kid to be involved. Uh, that's a member. They all have to be members or become members of the Simmental Association. Uh, an enormous cost, entry cost of eleven dollars. Um, <laughs> But it, it, then it involves them and then they're part of the members and then they cover under insurance and all of that sort of thing, which is a big thing today. Mm-hmm. Um, but they just have to do a short application and uh, they're playing for the, the prizes to go and help us start either at uh, the ECA or at, um, at Melbourne or, you know, South Australian Heifer Show and uh, be billeted out and work with a family for a week and they have their travel paid for and so forth. But the nice thing about it is we look at the applications. If we decide the applicant's a good person to go there, their application goes into a hat and then the winner is drawn out of the hat. So it's it could be anyone. It's not going to be the best application. You know, you, we're just yep. drawing on, on people uh, for underneath. And the, and the lovely thing about this is too is, is that you know, just getting kids out there, get involved with agriculture, get them outside. Mm. You know, I mean, hear the government talking about they want to get people off their ass and get out there and exercise. And and you know, what better way to get involved in it than agriculture? Eh? Yeah. What What is it like? You came through a youth program. Is that what has really lit the fire in your belly for this? Oh, I don't know what lit the fire in my belly. I was just passionate about bloody cows right from the start. And then my mum used to think it was quite a giggle. I mean, they didn't have any Angus cows when I used to buy those plastic animals. I was talking about it. And so I cut the horns off the jerseys and painted them black. I mean, I've just been, just been in, just obsessed with them. And um, I remember when I went to my first show and uh, won first prize with um, Cuckoo Kung and Mary Maid U3. That was a U3 for 1975, guys. And um, she was a magnificent cow, got talked about. And I looked at her and said, but how can I get more calves out of her? And then I thought, and this is a bit morbid, but I thought, oh, when she dies, I wonder whether we can grab her just and do a, a, a uterus and ovary transplant on her and put her into another cow so her genetics live on. And then about two years later, when I started to head to agriculture college, I was at Core Genetics, um, out there in the Yarra Valley and found that, you know, they were actual fact able to take, um, em, you know, over out of these cows an embryo transfer. So next thing is I'm into embryo transfer and um, and then I went to America and we bought cattle in from America and embryo transferred them and, uh, and I got involved with a number of guys uh, in embryo transfer in the early 80s and we were starting to freeze embryos and then I got talking to scientists at the Queen Elizabeth and Queen Victoria Hospital because cattle are the closest thing to humans. So for human IVF, a lot of these guys were pretty keen to talk to us because they could play with cattle. So then there was a tie-up. So we got 
you know, just got involved with talking to guys in the at the hospitals back in the early 80s about freezing embryos and can you split them and how to do this and how to do that. And I've just been a maniac about it ever since. So It was always genetics since day one. That was what interested yeah, you. Yeah, we, we collected our first bull, I think, in 1977. And, uh, you know, bought our first semen about 1976. And, yeah, it's just... It's just been, just been go, just been go, and uh, yeah, just into it, just passionate about it, and um, uh, just wherever it led. I was, I think I was about twenty-seven when I was vice president of the South Australian State Committee, and and then then I got married and moved to uh, New South Wales, and when I was about thirty-two, I was on the federal board, and then ran the youth program, then ran the national show and sale program after that, and um, yeah, it's. Uh, it's been good, and then and then we were battling away, and then um, you know I had a uh, AI company come and see me, and um, said, "Could you work for us?" And um, it was really fortunate. In actual fact is that for some reason, um, I never have actually ever signed or worked on a uh, an hourly basis or anything for anybody. I've always worked on a performance. And I've always worked on um, as a consultant, so um, all through my business has met, and it's been quite fascinating. I've been consulting with I've been consulting with some of the AI companies, and then running my own AI business as well. So and um, and it's just it's worked really well. So yeah, but I've always had that passion and always wanted to help other people too. So with St Paul's Genetics became. Um, we only had a few few cattle at that stage, just my wife and I, and um, and then you know as we were starting off the young family in Henty back in the late eighties, early nineties. Uh, but we wanted to have a cattle sale, so I started St Paul's and Friends and offered to people if they had cattle to sell um, to bring them forth. And after about six years, I think we had the biggest um, registered Angus female sale in Australia. Uh, running and we had like like 250 lots coming into it and then that just gave me all the contacts with different people and yeah and I was on the Angus board at the time and then running the national show and sale and yeah just yeah created your own momentum yeah just that that's what it's all about and as you can tell like passion my father was an entrepreneur and um yeah just passion there's no there's there's never a word called no it's always how can we do it and and Whenever I start to become a little bit closed focused or anything, I always try and say, nope, come on, open the eyes, think outside the box. Is there something that stands out as a favourite moment, achievement across your career? Is there something that really, yeah, y- you're hanging your hat on? <laughs> um, in cattle? There's obviously something. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was thinking about the, about the, about the funniest time ever, Bobby. One of my greatest achievements was when I met my wife. So, um, oh, that's not bad. Yeah, that wasn't too bad. And I have to thank my I have to thank my dog for doing that. Um, yeah, if you want a funny story, yeah, yeah I, probably I think you've got to go on with the story. Yeah, you'll now. probably cut this one no, out. I'll but um, um, yeah, I was a little bit I was a little bit of a you know I used to go pretty hard. Um, you know, Friday and Saturday nights as well. And we had a cricket match on the Sunday. We played the Saturday, had a big win. I'd celebrated most of the night and I'd turned up at uh, down at Langhorns Creek. I probably drove there under the influence of alcohol, so I don't think they can catch me on that one now. And I had my big black Labrador with me. Anyway, um, I'm out there. We won the toss and I'm out with the bowling. Anyway, and my big, big black Lab, he's just running around and my wife had come down to watch the match. 
Um, I didn't know her. And um, she was sitting in, sitting in a chair and my big labs walked up. And um, no, he didn't jump on her, just cocked his leg and pissed on a chair. <laughs> anyway, and then she said, who owns that dog? And they said, oh, Billy Cornflakes does. Where's he? And um, they pointed to, uh, to me and I just finished the first over and I was just um, over down the boundary taking a look at breakfast and, um, and I came off after the 20 overs and um, she walked up to me and said, your dog's pissed on my chair. And I said to him, Leo, come here. And Leo came here, sit, say sorry. And then I looked at him and said, are you satisfied? And I wandered away. But that was the start of our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> About two weeks later, we we went out to dinner and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, so she's been very understanding. <laughs> Ultimate wingman. <laughs> so that's the personal achievement. <laughs> well, that's not bad. I think, well, I think... All credit's really due to your dog. but um. Well, the, the other thing too is, and uh, just to talk about the dog, is that as our relationship blossomed and then, you know, after a few years we'd moved in, to get in together with each other and uh, uh, she was a neonate intensive care nurse, so she'd work evening shifts and stuff and um, the Leo the Wonderhound, he used to sleep, on, sleep in the bedroom and um, she'd come in there from work and the lights, I was in bed and sleep and stuff, and so she tried to sneak in and she's tripped over the dog. And there's this, there's this crash as she's fallen on the floor and nearly hit her head on the wardrobe. And I've woken up, what's going on? And she said, I've just tripped over Leo. And I said, poor dog, how's Leo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that didn't win me any brownie points. <laughs> but, but being serious, in the, in the cattle industry, I suppose... There, yeah, there's just been so many, so many, so many highlights out there in the in the cattle industry. Um, I suppose, yeah, I suppose when, you know, is it a show award? Is it um, perhaps when we're, I was breeding limousines, when Susan and I bought some limousines and we got uh, first, second and fourth in the in the junior class at the limousine show and then went on and got a junior champion. Uh, that was certainly a, um, a highlight in, in that period of time. Um, yeah, it's, uh, there's just been so many. I suppose in terms of the cattle industry, I was really touched when um, uh, about two years ago I was awarded the um, uh, Laurie Wells Award by the National Herd Improvement Association, which was for um, sort of a meritorious effort and services to the artificial breeding industry. And I was um, really touched by that award and um, and I was the first beef person uh, with a non-dairy background to ever be awarded it. So that was, um, yeah, that was really quite an achievement. And then I should also mention too, um, uh, just recently I was offered, um, uh, I, I received a life membership to the Angus Society and that was, um, uh, it's taken a while, I was totally blindsided on that and it's taken a while to come involved in that but it's brought back a lot of memories because my dad was a life member as well and I don't think ever, we're probably the first father-son to ever been um, life members of, of the Angus and it and it's brought back the things that uh, we'd been involved in, the Suzuki Angus Beef Classic, the junior programs and Paul's genetics, you know, just sort of reliving with it so, yeah. So there's been a lot. I've, I've seriously, I've been, I've been, you know, truly blessed, and and I mean that that I've been truly blessed. Um, um, I mean, and I should mention it too because some of my friends know that is that you know I'm a Christian, and I um, and I usually get a bit emotional when I say this sort of stuff, but um, that's what that's why we called St Paul's Genetics. That's our business. So I um, 
Uh, so therefore, every day it, I'm, I'm reminded of that, and I always think in any do any deal or whenever I'm speaking to anybody, I always remind myself about um, uh, you know what would Jesus do? What's what's fair? Um, what's reasonable? And um, and always um, to respect that other people have always got a point of view, even if I don't agree. And and you just never know what happens. And I just feel as though, actually, that day of my whole career, I've always been watched. And uh, sometimes I've sat down and thought, gee whiz, where am I going to go with all of this now? And I've just sat back in my chair and said, you know, you know better. And uh, about three or four minutes later, it's like a bit of lightning hits me and I go, oh, wow, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah, so uh, I'll get involved in that. With involvement across the genetics world in so many different areas... Yep. Running your own cattle. You mentioned, obviously, Angus yep. was the first love, and then limousines. Yep. Do you, do you feel pressure when it comes down to choosing what breeds you're going to run? Um, no, not really. It just depends on the time. Um, when, I, when I toured the consultancy with ABS, and also I'd formed a, um, a partnership, a sales partnership with Ardrossan and Tufari Tawa and Rennie Lee um, back in the early late 90s early noughties and we were having four bull sales together and I was in Angus and then when I was really pumping with ABS it started to become apparent to a few people that because I was also breeding the cattle and then selling the semen and then consulting to them that there was a bit of a conflict there for a few people and I decided um, I said to a if you guys I was involved with would you prefer me not to breed Angus and they said would you do that and I said yeah that's okay I'll go and breed black simmentals and they all said to me oh well if you're stupid enough to do that you can but I'd seen black simmentals back in 1985 and I'd sort of followed them 1997 uh, when I was in Calgary when working consulting outer I saw fantastic black simmies and um, then in 2002 when I was um in Gateway, uh, I started. I saw some black, more black simmentals, and then when I moved to ABS, I saw the bull Dream on, and I just thought, man, these these things have such a lot to offer. So I started breeding black simmies, and um, gradually phased out my Angus. But on the way through, I used some of my Angus bloodlines to, with the black simmies, to sort of form a grade up system. And and again, it was one of the greatest blessings that's ever happened to me. I probably haven't made nearly as much money as I as I would like to have done. But um, what I have what I have found is by being involved with doing that is I learnt so much more about crossbreeding and commercial reality, uh, about um, functionality, uh, about longevity, stability, uh, what's actual fact important out there, and it really did open up my eyes. I was initially very, very Angus focused. Uh, now I'm far more commercially focused um, about what's about what's appropriate and what's what's good. How's how's that evolved for you? Obviously, you've got your own herd, but what are you seeing kind of more broadly with the the black simmentals and simmentals? Yeah, no, it's it's, it's really interesting. Um, there's a heap of commercial opportunities for them as we get involved into um, sustainability we know that a commercial cow will in her lifetime give us a 25 to 30 percent more weaned pounds or kilos of beef on the ground than a purebred cow 
I mean, that's fact. That's from the Mark Research data started in 1972 in their herd of about 5,000 cattle, and, and that's it. So, you know, cross-breeding, planned cross-breeding is the way to go. And, and it's just so, so important that people understand. And I love going, talking to people, and I usually say, okay, you're mixed farmers here, aren't you? And they say, yes, yes, yes. And I go to them, okay, who's, who's doing prime sheep? You know, and they put their hands up, okay, who's doing cattle? And they, you know, that's it. And I say to them, oh, what cattle have you got? And they go, you know, Angus. And I go, oh, fantastic. And I said, um, yeah, prime lamb production, you'd just be doing that with your merinos? And they go, Sorry? And I said, well, is it just merinos? I go, no, 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 merino cross. And then we put a white suffragal pole dorset over it. And I go, all right, yeah, that's good. And with your cattle, why don't you do the same thing? And they look at me as I'm in twit. But, you, you know, it's and you have a look in there and if they're doing uh, grain production, just all the amount of things out there that are all evolved around hybrids and so forth. And, and people get really worried about this purebred thing. And... And I can understand it, but we as humans decided what was a purebred about 120 years ago. You know, there was just black cows in the Scottish Valley or limousines or in, in the Limoges Valley, and then we decided to make them, um, you know, breeds, and that was fine, and then they became sacrosanct. But, you know, you pop them together, and there's just so much to be gained. And as humans, we're... Um, through evolution and so forth we've been granted the power to be able to create and there's plenty of options to to create and we're now documenting that these cattle um hybrid cattle um and crossbreed cattle can really do a lot of things and what we're finding at abs is that um we've got our own uh proprietary genetics um new era they're called which is a combination basically of angus and simmental and uh, we've got them they've come from the power line program that have been going for a number of years and then um so abs have, have brought these up and now we've you know doing feed conversion and um and even you know emission and that sort of thing and we're finding that these we've got these crossbred cattle um that will grade and perform every bit and sometimes even better than these purebreds, certainly in terms of performance. And as we start moving on, the pressure is going to be on us to make the best utilisation of, of nature's resources. And we've got to be accountable for what we take from the earth and what we put out there. So we've got to be efficient in terms of feed efficiency, in terms of sustainability, in terms of um, longevity. And, you know, these crossbred cows will do it. And some of these databases out there just do not record stability. But if you have a look at it, Ollie, it takes, you know, a calf is born, half a calf is born, and she keeps on growing. And then she has her first calf at two years of age, but there's three years of age before we can sell that calf. And then if she gets to four years of age, she's going to have another calf. And so five years of age, you know, you get the picture, she keeps on going at eight, nine, ten. That's fantastic. But if she doesn't rebreed or she has doctoring problems and, and she has to be culled out um, by the time she's four, you know, she costs our environment. 
until the cow's about five years of age, she's a cost on the environment. So after that period, she's really, really important. So uh, getting back to your question is what's the advantage of um, Simmental and a lot of other breeds is, is in forms of crossing. And Simmental are a breed that, uh, as a breed, they have an open herd book. They have multi-breed EBV capacity. They have the ability to go to um, IGS uh, in America, which is um, about 20 million head of cattle on the database and growing all the time. It's got 20 different partners involved, including Neogen as a, as a genetics partner or a genomics partner, um, sort of some of the Angus Society, Red Angus, you know, involved in there. So out there there's these big programs, um, big performance programs that are available to the cattle industry to get involved in so we can truly test our cattle. And that's, you know, Simmental are leading that front. So that's where I'd see a lot of lot of information coming. So there you go. Five-second question led to about a five-minute answer. I, I want to follow up with a really dumb question. but like what? So why have we seen such a default to purebred cattle? Marketing. Marketing. I mean, when I was on the Eng Society back in the 90s when the Japanese came and um, they wanted to get uh, quality and uh, they really looked at black and uh, that's what happened. You know, they, they started to go to Angus and if you start looking at um, uh, out there, then the feedlotters that were, were feeding and, of course, um, a lot of that meat was going to Southeast Asia, that's what happened and it came on and the Angus and I was on the board at the time started the meat bro- branding programs and so forth and just continued it on but there is a bit of a scare factor out there and the other thing that has happened is that and and with all due respect um, you know breed plan we've got a good system there in performance recording with breed plan but it just doesn't have a good capacity for, for multi-breed uh, that's the advantage that let's say breeds like Angus have got is that they've just stood out there and, you know, they've got the performance program in Australia and they've got the marketing machine and it just keeps on rocking, you know, so. It's interesting, isn't it? You're the, you're the second person I've spoken to today who has mentioned about the, the role Simmentals will have in that, that crossbred um, area. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, uh, you uh, just, and, you know, we always say, you go back to America all the time, people cut off a little bit, but... You know, and and we we have we have to look at them because if you have a look at the Americans over there, the amount of universities, the amount of money they pour into agriculture, and like I go over there and absolutely gobsmacked with the amount of data they get, the perform, like they're totally data driven. They've got everything going there, and um, you know, Simmental's the number two breed society, number two recording society over there, with a database that is totally open. And you can come to it. If you've got cattle and you want to performance record them, you can go to IGS. If you go to Angus, who have to be number one, no, they don't. They voted on their board not to accept other breeds or even, um, you know, derivatives of their breed. So they were sort of saying, we're the greatest, that's it. And and they are at the moment, but they've left themselves open. And I, and, and I always find if you try and close yourself off, or if you try and insulate yourself and you're not open to what's happening, you'll get run over. And, uh, and you know, it might take, a, might take a time, but it may well happen. Tell me, we've talked a little bit, obviously, youth programs, the, the role of simmies. 
what do you see as some of the emerging trends in, in the beef side of things, genetics? What, what are we keeping our eye on in the next little while? Right. Uh, I suppose what's happening is out there, and if, if I can, uh, my point of contact, I suppose, mostly is in, in what we sell, is, which is genetics out there. And at the present moment, we do sell, the vast majority of probably what we do sell is Angus, um, basically because of that's just the way it's been. Angus have been open to AI uh, a lot. Um, but there's a, there's a gigantic movement that we've got is in terms of um, uh, Wagyu and uh, Wagyu of 20% of our business and growing. Uh, uh, yeah, so that's, so that's coming into, um, into, that, into that space. Um, but also we're starting to find that there's a lot of commercial people coming out there wanting to do AI and, um, and uh, they're sort of looking initially at Angus but they're starting to look at other, other factions. Now, in ABS, because of, I mentioned, the um, New Era program, which is a, a cross, you know, a, a hybrid crossbreed animal, um, yeah, there's a lot of things happening there. Uh, the, if I can relate to one program we've got, which is our In Focus program, um, with the adv- with the invention of um, sex semen in the Holstein and dairy world now, and they're obviously very data and performance driven, etc. They are now using sex semen from the best young genomic bulls. Um, they're just AIing maybe a third of their herd to create their replacements, and the other two thirds there, they actually fact looking at those cows. What are we going to do? So sometimes they're building uh, export heifers, dairy heifers to go to China or whatever, but that's a, a market that flips about a bit. But now we're finding with our new, the new era at genetics that we've got in the InFocus program, we're inseminating those dairy cows with the new era genetics and um, getting calves on the ground. And they, when they're going into feedlots and being fed and going to feedlots, a lot of them are grading as well as beef cattle are grading and they're as efficient in in what's going on so there's uh that's one thing that we're going to be moving towards so yeah it's uh it's exciting i, I th- actually think just going back to the point you made before around that the crossbreeding for sustainability like here we are at sydney royal you look at any of the big corporates anywhere around the globe but particularly even here um sustainable like woolies the big thing is sustainability like that's it's the push and it's where ag is sitting in the wheelhouse isn't it oh absolutely and and look, we're going to be we're going to be held accountable for it, uh, and it's I, I can see like the, the wagyu's are now doing progeny test programs, um, and part of that's going to be for feed efficiency um, at ABS. All our new era products is 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 um, subject to feed efficiency and and utilising that, and 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 we're finding now is that we can actual fact have sires that are going out there that are actual fact. Um, going to be far more efficient out there for the cattle that are feeding and going to create less, um, you know, pressure or, or less onto our resources of the earth that, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's going to work really well. And then and then later on that's going to come onto the branding uh, systems, I'm sure, for people there. And uh, people are going to go there and they're going to say, that's a really ideal state to go. But if it happens a little stamp on it and say, um, you know, side by ball that's 10% more feed efficient or 10% something or other, um, people I think are going to be drawn to that because at the the moment in general, um, I think if the people have got the money, they tend to to shop with some passion. So, Mm. 
Oh, great. I think um, or a couple of questions I wanted to follow up with. Yep. 50 years of, of the Simi breed celebrating here. Yeah. Favourite moment or a standout piece over that time? Oh, wow. I think, I think it just probably now, um, just now, I think it's just just great. The Simmentals, look, back in the 80s, Simmentals were really a powerhouse that were coming through. And then uh, when the supermarkets went away from Euro cattle there in the sort of like the turn of the century, um, you know, a lot of European breeds have sort of, fallen back but now Simmental 50 years I think it's just um, yeah now we've got people who've been breeding them for 50 years we can sort of see the passion uh, Simmental I've got the open herd book still so uh, we can go out as I was saying to somebody in our black Simmental so if we see another black animal that's super good we can still bring that into our herd book and utilise it so um, the youth program we can sort of see kids are really you know excited in it uh, another nice thing about Simmental is their congress the World Congress still goes on and, and all those countries get together and they look globally about how they can promote and help help Simmental. So I think um, it'll I think now is um, Simmental's time and I think, um, you know, looking back, I don't have to go too far. I think it's now. One other question then. If we've looked back, you've come up with now, we better look forward. Where Another 50? Where do you see them going? What's that crystal ball telling you, Bill? Oh, in terms of the Simmental breed, oh, yeah. I think the world's their oyster, really. I mean, as we've sort of talked about, there's, um, you know, IGS is sort of like an independent, but it really sits under a bit of the umbrella of the Simmental Association. Uh, it's it's the biggest um, cattle database in the world, and they'll take on anything, and they've got stability, and, uh, and you know, shortly I'd say we'd have feed efficiency and the, and the whole thing going on. So, therefore, they'll be a database very open-minded. Um, when you go around, I think the mentality of the Simmental breed is not to be exclusive, it's to be inclusive. Um, and uh, we don't really say no, you not, know. Not a bad way to be. No, no, exactly. And, that, and that's sort of why I've drifted over and I've sort of certainly got the, the passion and uh, say that I do love my Simmental. So, yeah. Lovely, Bill. Well, one thing I'm not doing is opening it up to you asking me a question. So, Bill, thank you very much for coming on for a chat. Thank you, Ollie. It's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that chat. I think, Bill, we certainly covered some country. He has had a remarkable career and an incredible impact. And I think uh, much of what he's done is, is around supporting others and creating opportunities for them. So it is incredibly exciting. Next week, it is our last episode from the Sydney Royal. We're sitting down with Cam and Carol Anderson. They've got an, a remarkable history um, and a legacy involved in the Simmentals through Western Victoria. So tune in next Friday. Join us for the next episode celebrating 50 years of Australian Simmentals. Can't wait to join you then. This podcast is sponsored by Simmental Australia. Unlock the potential in your herd and take it to the next level in performance. It's time to take your Simmental advantage.